0: New York Times style reporter Alan Salkin goes, on the record, online. Reporters do not want websites that have
1: animations and that, that make you spend time before getting to the information that you want.
0: So before I even start talking, you should know that I am a biased interviewer. I am um, a subscriber to the New York Times, and I love the New York Times. I love when it hits my doorstep. I like getting... The newsprint on my hands. And I like the fact that when I turn the pages, I may be introduced to a story that I wasn't searching for. And online, it's typically just what I search for that I find. I may not know of some country that I, has something interesting going on in it uh, that I would like to read about. Um, so uh, uh, search is not necessarily the best format for me to, to find it. But um. I am a a self-professed news junkie. I love to read newspapers. I love to read magazines. And I'm genuinely concerned about the state of of the media business because, as Epic 2014 predicted, um, the uh, commercial success of the Internet has undermined the need for media and democracy uh, in our country and really worldwide. Um, Today we have a very special interview with Alan Salkin. He's a style reporter with The New York Times. Uh, The New York Times on Sunday has a section called Sunday Styles, and it's kind of like the candy of the newspaper. It's usually one of the first sections that I read. I actually usually start with Weekend Review, and then I go to Sunday Styles. My wife usually goes... To Sunday Styles first. There's another style section in the New York Times on Thursdays called Thursday Styles, which I don't know. Doesn't it never. It's never been quite as good for me as Sunday Styles. I've always liked it better. And Alan uh, has been a beat reporter with that section for some time now. I don't actually know the exact number of years. And once in a while, if he's got a really hot story, they'll actually break it out and put it. Um, you know that other sections of the newspaper he recently had a cover story about um, a, an art capital company that is essentially a pawn shop for the rich and famous who uh, need cash now and have art today and and want to trade that art for for cash uh, with the idea that they 'd someday pay it back. Um, I talked to Alan Salkin about um, a, a number of things. he gave us online PR media relations tips, so if you 're a PR person uh, looking to get in front of the style section or Alan in particular. He gives you a lot of tips of how to do that. He also tells us about online newsrooms and what he expects to find in yours. And he also spoke about the future of the New York Times in the network age. All that and more after this.
2: Can you upload press releases and manage the media contact information in your online newsroom? Or are you still relying on someone else to do it for you? Are you able to upload high-resolution captioned images that reporters and bloggers can download and use in their coverage? Or do you need someone else to do that as well? And what about video? Can you easily upload video to your own branded online newsroom right inside your existing website? Or does that require IT support as well? According to Pew Internet, the web is the dominant channel for news and information. If you're a PR person and you're not equipped to communicate effectively online, iPressroom has a solution for you. With iPressroom you get an easy to use online newsroom right inside your existing website. If you can point and click and drag and drop iPressroom gives you everything you need to execute effective online PR campaigns. You can even use our press release search engine optimization wizard to increase the search rank of your organization's website. To find out more about our online newsroom management solution or for a free 60-day trial of our online newsroom SEO wizard, tweet me at Chris Bechtel, which is B-E-C-H-T-E-L, or send email to info at iPressroom.com.
0: Alan Salkin, New York Times-style reporter, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Eric Schwartzman. I want to start with uh, uh, just a little overview of uh, the best way for a PR person to break through to you. Because obviously, there's a lot of people sending you information. J- just on a sheer volume basis, how many pitches would you say you receive a day? I probably get about four a day, and most of them.
1: It, it started getting more intense recently because I was put on some PR trade list with my email.
0: In terms of um, media that you're paying attention to, what are your favorite magazines, favorite newspaper columnists, favorite TV shows? My favorite magazine
1: right now is something called Monocle, which is a very interesting magazine that was founded by Tyler Brulé, who used to do wallpaper. It's very international in scope and has, um, has real reporting, not a lot of hype um television wise, I'd probably watch MSNBC and <clears throat> the new the personalities on there, Rachel Maddow, Keith Olberman, and I also get a lot of news from Antiques Roadshow.
0: Well, what kind of stuff do you get from Antiques Roadshow?
1: You find out what what matters to people, uh, how much, Money means something to certain kinds of people. You hear interesting parts of history that seem to somehow tell you what's valuable now. Like, why is a piece of glass from a you know 1905 worth a lot to people now? What what markets have changed? Like, the fact that Russian antiques are worth a lot all of a sudden because of the you know the economy. In Russia, until of course recently, was, was booming, and um, they, ha- they don't have access to a lot of their antiques. So it just, it, it's a funny way of getting an interesting, new, non filtered view of the world as it is now, somehow through antiques
0: um f- from a, from an age standpoint i think we're pretty much around the same age so obviously you know you're a digital immigrant like me how has <laughs> how has the internet changed the way you follow trends well
1: hmm i guess if i notice a trend or i can then google it um and then see if it's been blogged about get a sense of I guess get a sense of the trends penetration and whether it's real or not, or something somebody's pitching me. And of course, I also will go to those websites and see, make sure that they're not just PR websites, that they're real people, um, and, they're not, and, and also that they're not supposed to look like real people, and they're actually, be, you know, there's a lot of sleuth work to be done to make sure something isn't hype.
0: To define if you would a PR website, what is that? Uh,
1: it's a website that well there's two kinds obviously there's there's maybe there's three kinds. there's a, just the sort of home page of a PR company which might list their clients and the projects the clients are engaged in, which is which is I think fair and is good and can actually help you to find the proper contacts. If you're looking for something, if you know, if you're actually interested in doing real reporting, PR people can hook you up with the actual people doing the actual thing. Then there are sort of these in-house PR newsletters that are, you know, somewhere in this gray area between. Um, PR and news. Of course, to me, if it's a gray area, then it's more PR yeah. where they actually hire, often hire young writers to, for instance, review restaurants or write about trends in the restaurant business. But the fact, to me, the fact that it's coming from a PR website makes it less trustworthy even no matter how sincere the writer might be. Although, the, you know, sometimes there's real information on there that can lead you to follow up and, and look somewhere else. But it's rare that I would actually call the PR company based on what's in their, that kind of newsletter. And the third kind I think is, you know, a Facebook page or a, a website that's supposed to look like it's a regular person who's not in the PR industry, you know, blocking about some new trend or something that interests them or, um, you know, as if they've set up an organic Facebook page, but it's actually um, sort of a front a fake that's been set up by a PR company to hype something. And those, I don't think, you know, I just have an aversion to things that aren't straightforward.
0: When you say fake, I mean, are these people basically launching these Facebook pages without saying, hey, I am a PR person and I work for this company?
1: Yes, and to me, that's that's right. And to me, it's the same thing as like these street teams. Like if a movie's coming out and a PR company hires like a stealth marketing team to walk around a hip neighborhood, um, like in Williamsburg, and dressed as like Batman characters and they're like, you know, promoting drinks at a bar or something. It, they're just trying to like stir up word of mouth. And uh, maybe it it's because I'm a Generation Xer and I just hate the co-opting of the organic by the marketers. But um, I just turns me off.
0: When you go to a webpage, be it a blog or a Facebook page or what have you, and it, if it was a PR person and they were upfront about the fact that they were a PR person, would you pretty much just disqualify them on the basis of their occupation? Or at least have a bias against them because they are NPR. Uh,
1: hmm. I, I would have a bias, but I don't think it would be completely damning. I think I would, I would look to see. I might actually still call the PR person and say, you know, ask the question: "Is this real?" and "Can you prove it?" You know, whatever it might be. I, I wouldn't immediately disqualify it. No.
0: So you had a story uh, in Sunday Styles on Snuggies, these blankets. They're also um, also sort of, I guess, <coughs> ponchos with arms. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'm interested to know what role the Internet played in qualifying that story. Did you go to the website of the company that made the blankets?
1: I did go to that website, and they had a – something I always recommend that I do – when I, whenever I set up a website <laughs> that I'm trying to promote something, um, you know, it, right on the home page, it had a something to click to get a phone number to call somebody in PR. You know, the, the the PR representative. It was right there. You know, media. You know, public relations, whatever you want to call it, media relations. You could just click on it, and there was a phone number. You know, there wasn't a lot. You didn't have to submit a form. You could just call a human being who picked up the phone. Um, so I did that. Now. Um, I have heard bad things about that website and that sometimes when you – there's been some articles and some blogs about the fact that if you try to order one Snuggie, that it there's some misleading ways of entering data on there, and there's misleading offers that can lead people to order more Snuggies than they intended. Um, so that – I didn't actually go through and test to see because I, di- I didn't really want to have – you know the New York Times pay for a bunch of snuggies that we didn't need but so I didn't rely on that I, I mostly relied on the homepage and on the connection to the media contact
0: when you go I mean I've got to think you're going to websites on a daily basis of companies to sort of qualify them any generalizations you can make about online newsrooms are they getting better um, are, are companies getting better at communicating via the web or is it still uh, pretty shoddy I mean any, any generalizations you'd be willing to make
1: Hmm. I think some are getting better and some are getting worse. I think, for instance, reporters don't want Java. Reporters do not want websites that have animations and that that make you spend time before getting to the information that you want. Um, you know, And those might be more appealing to customers, which I actually don't think they are, but for a media person's need, you, you kind of want... Even if there's a mission, you'd like a little connection somewhere in the bottom that says click here to, you know, get to the, the press room. And it's just, I think it's getting, I think some people are trying to hide the phone numbers because that you need because they don't want customers calling the PR number or something. They want to control people's experience. And I think other companies are getting smarter and realizing they need to have the contact number right there, easy to find. And the other thing that I like on a website is the ability to cut and paste the PR person's information. I don't want it to be one of these Java things or some other way that it's blocked that I can't scroll over, copy, and paste it into my notes. I like to you know, be able to cut and paste the phone number so that I can have it where I want it what about and not have visual? to retype it.
0: What about visual information? What about photos and videos? Is that useful?
1: Photos are useful because if you want to... Yeah, just simply because you can see, you know, what a product is supposed to look like. Of course, it, it's nice if there's more... If you're really interested in something, you kind of want to see a whole gallery of photos because you don't want it to be too glossy. You don't want it to be too... You want to kind of see the product as it really is. You don't want to see it, you know, all gleaming with the sunset behind it. Um, videos, or for, for instance, with the Snuggy you know, that the famous two-minute commercial is there on the site, and it was useful because I did want to watch it, and I didn't, you know, it was useful to see it on the company site rather than have to go to YouTube or something and not trust that I was seeing the real video and wade through a bunch of parody videos.
0: So so just on the photo side, uh, if I get you right, what you're saying is the glossy ad shots are less useful than sort of photojournalism shots of you know, that tell a story about the product in use or maybe that aren't so polished. That's right. And I I, I do think, you know,
1: I think it's perfectly fair for those more realistic shots to be only accessible or uh, not only accessible, but to be accessible through a couple clicks to the PR section of the site. I'm not saying companies need to put their products, warts and all on the consumer homepage, but it's nice if... A reporter can easily find them in a PR section of the website.
0: I have this thought that there's an inverse relationship between control and credibility. That um, you know, the more control you exercise over the content on your website, the less credible you are. Do you agree?
1: Yes, I do. And and look, my uh, my reporters are, you know, good reporters at least, are supposed to try to figure out what's really going on with something. And if we write a story that does not have, you know, the pros and cons of something in it, it's not credible. So nobody's doing anybody any favors, and it just makes me frustrated if I can't, you know, get the full story. Now, it's perfectly fine if, you know, the the, the best PR people are the ones who understand, what it is we do for a living and who understand our reporter's job is not an extension of public relations. You know, a reporter's job is to get to the truth about something, whether, and you don't know, even know how that product might fit into the story or anything else. So just give me the facts and don't hide, you know, that there's a lawsuit or anything else. Cause it's just going to make the story look look stupid and that make the reporter mad.
0: Let's talk for a minute about your use of social media, both professionally and personally. Um, Obviously, you know, it's very difficult to segment one's persona on the Internet. And, uh, you know, there was that post by Hamilton Nolan on Gawker. Uh, talking about how you use the Internet for personal uh, uh, interest as well as professional. Mm-hmm. Uh, any lessons you've learned in terms of you know how does one grapple with, um, say, for example, you set up a Twitter account and you've got um, your friends following you and you've got people from business following you. And how do you deal with that? What What's your sort of compass? Well,
1: unfortunately, I'm still working this out. And where I've come to with it right now is, Because I'm a staff writer at the New York Times, I'm, I'm somewhat, I'm I'm representative of the Times in public. I'm a bit of a soldier, you know, underneath the banner of the New York Times army. And I have, you know, I asked this question, we had a meeting here about Facebook and I asked somebody, you know, it wouldn't be nice if we could have a sort of a Facebook for our quote unquote friends and then a Facebook for our real friends. And I have just come to accept it. And almost anything that I send out, um, unless it's to somebody that I you know know from high school or before, basically uh, is or, or put on Facebook or send out to my news list or even comment on a blog has the potential to be put on Gawker or any other you know Huffington Post or anything like that. So I'm I'm. You know, I was an early blogger. I could go on and on about this. I was an early blogger, and I, what I loved about blogging was that I could I wasn't constrained by editors. I could i it was a place where I could write whatever I wanted, put opinions in, and just put it out there. And you know it actually led to some good story ideas. and anyway, it it's very frustrating. that's that's why I'm with it. I, I wish there was some way. You know, and, and then I, I guess the answer is I could use an anonymous ID, but then I don't. It just doesn't feel right to me right now. I'm still struggling with this question.
0: So it's a sacrifice. I mean, you, you're making a sacrifice by working from the Times for the Times because you can't uh, uh, um, shepherd your personal brand without worrying about how that's going to impact your reputation as a journalist. Is that correct?
1: It's a sacrifice that I have decided is definitely worth making. That's the answer.
0: Fair enough. Um, in terms of your relationship to – to, and maybe not even you personally, but when you think about the, um, the New York Times style beat, um, how what, – what is the relationship between that group of reporters with the group of um, uh, internet reporters that are following the same beat? Is it uh, an adversarial relationship? Is it uh, – do you consider yourselves as friends I mean are you guys looking at life hacker and gawker and and defamer as sort of you know part of the same group are they sort of the folks undermining the quality of news what's that relationship how would you define it
1: I'm worried that if I say anything even on your you know highly secure podcast it's going to end up there I don't want to I I tend to see all journalists, anybody writing about anything, as we're all colleagues. That's just my philosophy about things. And we're all in this together, trying to, you know, fighting the good fight. You know, and I believe the more conversation about something, the the better results for society. So, you know, I, I... I will send often send personal emails to people who blog about stories of mine and just and very, you know, nice ones. And I just see us all on the same team. And um I might have, you know, I certainly think that some people in the world don't understand that there's a difference between actually doing reporting and commenting about others who do reporting. And... You know, no matter how light or heavy that reporting might be, it, it's it's that's the real work is to, is to dig up the new facts, and you know it, it feels like it, on the internet now there's some people there's you know there's one person digging up facts and then 20 people giving opinions about those facts, you know, and obviously those are those institutions which are spending the money to gather the facts. It would be nice if they could get enough revenue to continue that enterprise
0: well that's a that's a big concern and obviously lifestyle is you know not the hardest of the news beats but um, i don't know if you saw epic 2014 which came out you know years ago but it uh, basically predicted that the commercial success of the of the internet would undermine the need for media and democracy and in, in fact that seems to be happening we saw um, the rocky mountain news uh, shutter uh, scripts couldn't find a buyer Um, You know, uh, Tribune's been in bankruptcy since uh, December. Um, Philadelphia Inquirer just went in bankruptcy. Uh, You know, there's certainly some, some, uh, uh, you know, grumbling out there that the New York Times, how are they going to pay for the new building? For those of us who, you know, enjoy the product, uh, you know, hitting our doorstep in the morning, um, you know, what does the future hold? I mean, are our kids going to be able to afford to get newspapers? And are they going to be any good? Well, I, I
1: would recommend anybody come to the New York Times website and read. Um, Bill Keller, the editor, answered a lot of readers' questions a, a few weeks ago, and he really is incredibly literate and excellent writer and thoughtful person. He, he delved into many of these issues and, and has some great answers. I just would point out that, number one, the New York Times still makes money and is profitable. The New York Times newspaper is profitable. We're not losing money. Um, Number two, the L.A. Times is also profitable and has been for a long time, even when they were undergoing staff cuts. That was a problem of debt by the larger company. Um, it's, it's a there's many newspapers that are that are healthy and and uh, the, the other thing is you don't need to be attached to the what we call the dead tree edition. The question is how. You know, am I coming to your phone? Am I we don't know what's going to happen. And that's all I can say.
0: You know, one of the great things about the print edition is you can turn over those pages and be introduced to stories that you weren't looking for. Whereas, you know, when you get online, it's all about search and it's all about, you know, just finding what you're already interested in so you can't broaden your perspective. And, and the real value of the New York Times, many of us think, is that you're able to go into some, such depth of coverage on, on national issues. So, I mean, if, if staffing cuts persist, you know, how will that depth of coverage persist?
1: Well, we had, we had some very limited staffing cuts more than a year ago, and, and we've been told there's not going to be any more. And number one, number two... The Times website still has a huge depth and variety of news and is ever-changing during the day. I think one of the problems that I'm noticing is that a lot of people are coming to the Times website via um, a link from another site, and they don't even necessarily understand what newspapers are about or why the New York Times is different than, you know, the Huffington Post or something else. And so they'll come just – someone will say, oh, there's this crazy story about – about snuggies, you know, and so they 'll click on it they 'll come right into that story, and they want they 'll think it's some kind of editorial or advertorial or the opinion piece of some kind and you know it's 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 um, and then it 's unclear whether those people are sticking around to to indulge in all the other great news that that 's on that website i mean I, in some ways the website's better than the newspaper you 've got videos you 've got um, all kinds of interesting r- blogs that are related to stories. You've got original documents on there. Uh, you know, I often, I usually read it online. It's just a question of how you're going to get people to pay for that. And th- that's where we are, I think. I don't think we can, you know, bemoan the days when the newspaper landed on everybody's the loss of the days when the newspaper landed on everybody's porch. It's just a question of people still want information. More people read the New York Times now than ever have before, by far. You know, it's more relevant now. It's, it's more influential. It's more important. Um, and it's just a question of how to monetize that. And that's, you know, luckily that's not something I have to worry too much about. I just go out and collect the news and write the best stories I can, and that's my part in this great army.
0: Alan Salkin, style reporter for The New York Times. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS News Feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.